Tonight's reading is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from him from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, He left him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. There's a very interesting story attached to this section of Scripture. Now, I don't know if you remember the great wave of televangelist scandals of the 1980s, or perhaps you read about them in your history class in high school. But anyway, this text, commonly known as the temptation of Jesus, although I must say a somewhat misleading title, This passage was responsible for making and destroying one of the greatest of the early 80s evangelists. His name was the Reverend Major Don, which I must say is a somewhat misleading name. The Reverend Major Don had built an international evangelical empire. He had a huge world headquarters in Orlando, Florida. He had a television studio with satellite uplinks, a publishing company, and his own brand of salsa. He had everything anybody could ever want. But it all came crashing down when he was discovered in Laughlin, Nevada, passed out in a hotel room with a frog and an antelope in his room. It was really one of those situations you can't recover from. He lost everything. The police arrested him, but couldn't really figure out what to charge him with. Then it was discovered that the frog was an endangered species, so he pleaded guilty to a lesser charge in a plea bargain and was given 200 hours of community service in the reptile house at the Reno Zoo. 
But the interesting part of the story is how the Reverend Major Don came to be a televangelist at all. He was once a well-respected, ordinary pastor of a local church. But it was this text that started this whole thing that led to this fiasco. It was this text that we read tonight. He was preparing a sermon on temptation titled, Don't Give In or You Won't Get In, when he had what he considered to be a profound insight into the text. Now, if you indulge me briefly, I will just lay out his argument for you. Now, he approached this text with the idea that Jesus, known as Emmanuel, is God's presence with us. Emmanuel means God with us. This notion that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, is a central theme for him, and he brings it to this text. With this theme in mind, Reverend Don reads the temptation story and realizes in his deep, deep study that the word usually translated tempting is more accurately translated testing, which would be consistent with the word used for the devil, which really means the tester. So the beginning of this chapter now sounds a little different. It says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the temp tester. Tested by the tester. It sounds a little bit more like the book of Deuteronomy, when Israel cries out to God, have you led us into the wilderness to test us? Furthermore, the Reverend Major Don realizes that the entire situation here in this text echoes Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 8. Now this, of course, was through no cleverness of his own, but because it said as much in the footnotes of his Bible. In Jesus' first test, the devil says, If you are the Son of God, then turn these stones to bread. Jesus answers, saying, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In Deuteronomy, Moses says that God tested Israel in the wilderness, giving them nothing to eat but manna, so that they would learn that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In Jesus' second test in the wilderness, the tester brings Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself off, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, that you will not dash your foot on a stone. Jesus replies, It is also written, You should not put the Lord your God to the test. Where is that written? Of course, in Deuteronomy, he realizes. In this third and final test, the devil takes Jesus to a high hill, overlooking all the kingdoms of the world, and says, All this will be yours if you only bow down and worship me. Jesus replies, Away with you, tester, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only God. This, of course, echoes the situation in Deuteronomy where Moses had, was, had led Israel to a hilltop overlooking the promised land and reminds them of God's commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all their might, and that if they worship the Lord God and serve God alone, then 
Only then will they live long and prosper in the land. So in seeing this relationship between Jesus being tested in the wilderness and Israel being tested in the wilderness, Reverend Don realizes that this really is God making claim on Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, God with his people. God literally places Jesus with God's people, Israel, at their most vulnerable and desperate point of their history in the desert. And agreeing with most scholars that this uh, audience, uh, original audience, was a Jewish audience, it would have understood very easily these references in the gospel to their situation of the children of Israel in Deuteronomy. He is left, Reverend Don, with no other conclusion but to think he was wrong all this time. God didn't send Jesus to pick a new kind of chosen people. God didn't send Jesus to have the uh, Gentiles replace the children of Israel. No, God sent Jesus to fulfill God's plan to be with his people and to be, that they would be a witness to all nations. Now, of course, this broke with some major evangelical understandings of the text, but he was moved by the Spirit. Now, all the things the devil asked Jesus to do clearly would have benefited this, his mission to go out there, prove to the whole world beyond the shadow of the doubt that he was who he said, the Son of God. If he would have done what the devil said and with this tester and put on this public display of power, throwing himself off the top of the temple and having all the angels save him right in the middle of the city where everyone could see, certainly people would have followed him after they saw that power. And finally, all the kingdoms of the world would be his. He could rule them all as the kingdom of God. But all these things, all these tests, would require Jesus to do one thing. He would have to sever his relationship with God. Now, Reverend Don thought that this was the greatest test of all. It is, in fact, the failure of this test that is original sin, he thought. That's it. That is what original sin is. Above all else, God desires relationships with God's children. And secondly, desires that God's children be in relationship with each other. That is sin. Sin, Reverend Don said, is the breaking of that relationship. Some action might not be wrong or bad or sinful in itself, only it becomes sin if it breaks one's relationship with God or one's neighbor. He reasoned that if God's desire is to be with us, then the greatest temptation is to break that withness. He was proud of himself, coining the term withness. And it was with that phrase that he launched his empire. He found that he could avoid all the baggage of the guilt and shame of American pietism by simply talking about God's desire to be with us in relationship. An individual should strive not for perfection or morality, but instead to be in relationship with God and their fellows. And people could simply ask themselves how any thought or deed would affect their being with in relationship with God or their fellows. 
And if a thought or a deed broke that withness, people should avoid it. Or if harm was already done, they should seek and repair the relationship right away. He called this the withness test. He wrote a book of the same name. It was a bestseller in the early 80s. He went on to speak all over the world. He would start every crusade meeting by shouting, Can I get a witness? And encourage people to go witnessing. At first, it sounded to some as if he had a lisp, but with his witness movement, his witness movement grew, especially popular in some regions of Spain. As the years went on, he wrote more and more books, selling them and all kinds of other witness paraphernalia through his daily TV show. Then one day, he was with his architect, looking over the site of the new mega-worship tabernacle. And the architect commented on what a great site it was set up on the hill like that. He said, you can see over your entire compound. Wow. He said, it's all yours as far as the eye can see. And that is when he had his breakdown. That is when the Reverend Major Don lost it. All mine, he thought. Like any sinister villain losing his mind. All mine, mine alone. He became crazed and completely self-indulgent thinking that he was the arbiter of all that was good and right. And it was this arrogant depravity that finally led him to be discovered in that hotel room in Laughlin, Nevada. In an interview sometime later, he said that that actually turned out to be the best thing that had ever happened to him. It humbled him and reminded him what he had been so passionate about in the first place. But even though he appeared to be a changed man in that interview, a short time later, he moved to the Castilian region of Spain and rebuilt his empire. He would have been a good man if he'd only had that antelope and that frog there to humble him every day of his life. <laughs>